What's up, Drop Pod listeners? You can listen to the Drop Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Pods. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can also find all of our content on YouTube at the Drop Golf Podcast and on all our socials. That's Instagram and Twitter at the Drop underscore pod. No matter how you consume us, like, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff, follow and listen along. This episode is presented by the Law Office of Mallon and Tranger. Tom Mallon and Randy Tranger are board certified trial attorneys who share more than 40 years of legal experience. They specialize in personal injury matters, workers' compensation cases, and criminal and municipal defense. As certified trial attorneys, they have recovered millions of dollars on behalf of people injured in accidents and employees injured at work. They have offices conveniently located in Freehold and Point Pleasant. For skilled and personalized legal representation, call Mallon and Tranger at 732-780-0230 or check out their website at tmallonlaw.com. Not only are they good people, they're good golfers too. I missed my hands. <laughs> that, I, I can't, I can't. I don't even know what to say to that. This is the Drop Podcast where we talk golfing in the Garden State. I'm Mike Poro, and this is Ryan Kulat. What's going on, everyone? Hope all are doing well. Mike, I'm, I'm super excited for this episode. We have probably our biggest guest yet, not to take anything away from some of our other guests. And we've been kind of tiptoeing into the national, uh, you know, outside of New Jersey a little bit. This one's the biggest we've got so far, I, I think. We have the voice of golf on NBC, Dan Hicks. Dan does both golf and the Olympics for NBC. And he's got some really memorable calls, including the one that most everyone knows, uh, Tiger's win over Rocco Mediated, Tory Pines. So we get into talking golf, we talk Olympics, we talk broadcasting, we talk a number of things. I, I think we cover the gamut of topics in this interview with him. Just another enormous guest and an absolute must listen. So make sure you stick around for that. I mean, what better timing to get Dan Hicks on than the Wednesday before the Players' Championship? I mean, we got into so many topics about from, you know, will Tiger show up? And then Cam Smith not even being there. And how are they going to address the Live Golf versus the PGA Tour? And it, listen, we covered, like Ryan said, everything. And, and Dan Hicks is not only um, a unbelievable broadcaster, um, but a really good down-to-earth dude. And, and I, I can't emphasize enough. It's, it's, another, it's another quality interview with another quality person. Yeah, a sneaky good follow on Instagram. Uh, he's got some quirky stuff on there, but a good guy, really. This was this was big time for us, and as you said, perfect timing. Mike, this episode's coming out March 8th. We're recording a little bit before that, and being that we're in March now, you know what that means. It's March Madness, baby! Let's go! This might be my favorite time of year. You got conference championships, you got uh, golf with the PGA Championship, you got the Masters around the corner, and then... Uh, I think NCAA basketball does it right with the tournament. I really do. I don't think there's anything more exciting. Maybe the Ryder Cup has it beat, honestly. But I, I get so geeked up for college basketball and March Madness. I'm very excited. So what we've decided to do was we're going to do, do a little March Madness ourselves. What we did was we took the 21 counties, 21 courses list, 
and we came up with a top 32. And we did a random draw, split them up between North and South Jersey, and we have a two Sweet 16 brackets. Again, one for North, one for South. And we're going to come up with a winner. Uh, we're going to get down to an Elite Eight. We're going to run into a Final Four, get a champion for each uh, North and South, and then come up with a overall New Jersey champion over the next month or so. Uh, we're going to be putting them out a couple a week. Mike and I are still trying to figure out, hash out those details, when we'll put those out and that sort of thing. But really excited for this to, to see, you know, let the public vote on which course is better. And again, just who's winning, boom, done, moving on. So so really exciting stuff coming up in the next, really the next month for for this. So excited to announce it. Yeah, no doubt. And I think to make sure everybody understands like where to get all this information and follow along, you got to get on Instagram and you got to follow us at the drop underscore pod, uh, because this is where all those things will be put out right onto the story. So you got to follow along this way so you get your vote in. And we'll be kind of curious to see where, where the votes are coming from. Are they coming from the north, the south, the east, the west, the central? Like, let's, let's see where, you know, people like and what their opinions are, because, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. It's the first time we're doing it, and, and you know, there'll be some hiccups early on, but but we'll, we'll figure it all out. Yeah, you got, you got to make sure you follow. You got to make sure you pop out for your for your course, for your section, for your area of the state, and uh, and let's see what we what we can do. So a couple weeks ago, we started doing full swing. Talked about episodes one through four, and and I feel like it's been out for long enough now. And having Jack Wall on last, really Jack ruined it for us, right? That guy came on and took up all of our time last week. Very rude of him, but I guess it was okay. But I feel like we're a little behind the eight ball here, and I don't need to break down every episode. I'll just give you my overall thoughts. I thought it was great. I loved it. I wish, now that it's over and I saw the whole thing, I wish it had gone more chronologically through the season like took each like I, I thought they were good subjects to take but I wish it kind of went through the whole season and I kind of thought they tipped out tiptoed around live I, I didn't I thought there'd be more live stuff or more live distractions in there and and it and there it wasn't as live heavy as I thought it was going to be and again that's not to say that I was disappointed in the amount of live I just I just thought that like I just thought they didn't they didn't really go after anyone from Live. And I'm not saying they should be gone after, but uh, I thought there'd be more of, of how big Live was last year because Live was dominating headlines and I don't think it dominated this this show. Yeah, I think like anything, I listen, when it came out, I binge watched four episodes in one day and I binge watched the four the next day. So I think no matter what, there's always gonna be cynics that don't like certain things about things. And, you know, the world we live in today can be a very negative one and people nitpick at things. I think overall for our first season of something like that coming out and nobody truly understanding what to expect, I thought it was really good. And I'm, and I pray to God they continue having a season two to follow things. And, and like anything, it's, it's not going to be perfect. But I guess if you're asking me for some feedback... Chronological order for me, like I'd mentioned, is super important. Like, I want to see what it's like from the very beginning to the very end. I understand, like, you wanted to finish the series with the Rory McElroy at 
the tour championship. I understand all that. And I do think that last scene there when he's like, it's always Tiger first texting me, I thought was awesome. And I don't, don't lie. I think that's the perfect bow on a series like that. Totally get it. For sure. Um, but overall, listen, I loved it. I was glued to it. I watched every one of them um, from beginning to end. Phone was away. Didn't even have my phone out because I was glued to watching. A plus. I definitely give it an A. It was it was terrific. Super looking forward to them doing it again. Uh, I'm under the impression that they are doing it again and that more people now that they've seen it are looped into it. And maybe those like live guys aren't in, but you got other guys like John Rahm, I heard, is someone who signed on. So we'll see what this what this season brings. But, but man, there's a lot of – what better time for Netflix to jump on board with something like this than the last couple of years, right? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Mike, we had put out on Instagram that poll maybe a week or two ago about what people wanted to hear us talk about uh, – I think the, the 21 courses, 21 counties, got a, got a lot of traction. And I think from there, one of the things was, was people want to hear our top five courses in the, in the state. This is tough for us because I know that we've played, A, different courses, but also, like, haven't played all the courses, right? So, so I think this is a good spot to, to let's, let's hash that out. And even if we're doing it live, I, I think that's fine. Yeah. I, I, I have some thoughts on mine, but I, I don't know if I have an order. So, like, you might have the same, but let's, like I said, let's, I think we can hash those out, out live. Yeah, and, and to kind of, kind of, when we put the poll out there, you know, I, I like anybody I, that runs a, you know, has a podcast or has a following, you kind of always want to hear what the audience wants to hear. So we're talking about things that are relevant, that are pertinent to what they want to hear. And, you know, when we put the poll out there, I was kind of curious and and it was overwhelming. First of all, I want to thank everybody that clicked the button on the poll because we had well over, um, you know, 60 to 75 votes, nonetheless, in a 24 hour span just on that poll. So that was unbelievable. And then when I looked at the final numbers, it was clear as day that they wanted to hear or you guys want to hear what our top fives are, both on the public side and the private side. And, and like Ryan said, it may not be particularly different because a lot of the courses that we've played can be similar. Um, but I, I decided to think a little bit about this because I've been kind of sitting on this and I actually have my five and five in order that I've played. And I, and I reference this a certain way that it's the last three years specifically since COVID. Um, and just to give a little background, that's kind of like when I started really getting back into playing golf more, um, more things are relevant in my mind and it may be a little biased to, to now. Okay. Um, but I, I dated this back to like 2020 to today. Um, I wasn't really putting anything prior to then. So I'll start this bad boy off. I listed my Publix one through five to the ones that I liked the most since 2020. Number five on my list was Hominy Hill. And I guess there is a little bit of an asterisk next to that because, you know, when you and I played it, we only saw one side. But clearly, the history of that place, the architecture of that place, I, I just thought it was a really, really good golf course. Clearly, it's one of the best in Monmouth County, if not the best. So I have Hominy Hill at five. I went Scotland Run at number four. 
And again, I know recency bias. People may say, well, these are places you just recently played. I, and I get it. I, I can't argue that point because I did just play Scotland Run this past fall. But again, when I played it, certain things stand out more so. And I think probably more than anything, it was that ninth hole. Coming back into that clubhouse, that par three was beautiful. So I had Scotland Run at number four. Number three, I had Blue Heron Pines. Again, when I went out there um, with a buddy of mine and played it, we played first thing in the morning. Nobody was out there. Again, the layout was beautiful. Um, you know, Ron Jaworski golf course, tough, challenging, some really neat, cool holes. So I had Blue Heron Pines, number three. Number two, I went Bally Owen all the way up north. Again, playing that golf course and seeing some of those views up there are, are just stupid. I mean, I, I can't imagine what the other Crystal Springs Resorts golf clubs are like up there. But that one, obviously, when, when you think about like 1 through 18 and, and all those holes out there, man, it just, I, I just, I really, really love that golf course up there. I, that's a course I think that anybody could play and, and truly never get bored of it. And then my number one golf course on the public side is, is maybe something that we don't talk about or we haven't talked about a lot. And, and I got, again, I know I may be more of a South Jersey guy with some of this, is, is my number one is Ballamore. And I know that might not be a spot that I've said or brought up, but when I date it back to 2022 today, there's a few things that stick out to me about Ballamore. Not only like the the beauty of the golf course um, and some of the designs of the hole, but I thought the 18th hole was just absolutely perfect. Par five, um, you got water on the right-hand side, you got a challenging green you're coming right back to the clubhouse. I, I don't know why, and I haven't played Balmore, and people may say, well, when's, when's the last time you played there? I think I, when I was checking my gin, it was legit like 2020. Um, so it's been, a, it's been a second in terms of me being out there and visiting that spot. Um, but again, when I went through my list, I had Balmore as my number one public golf course that I've played in the last three years. Pretty good list. Um... So uh, again, I, I'm I'm with you. Like I, I also wanted to keep it newer because I think that needs to. You know, I, I think I don't want to be a, a recency biased person, but I, I don't think that I don't think you can remember all the stuff from something seven, eight, nine years ago. And it, unless you haven't played golf since then, you know, or you've only played the same courses. So I, so starting from five, I have Twisted Dunes. I think it's. Just a terrific track. I love how simple the clubhouse is. You know, it's got that enormous porch along the whole front entrance that's very simple. You know, it's it's got the, the rock driveway. It's just, it's very no frills, but a tremendous golf course. And you cannot spray it because you got the waste bunkers. I, I think it's, I think it's great. I think it's a great course. My number four is Seaview, the Bay Course. I really like the Bay Course. It's really pretty. It has a lot of things that a lot of golfers would want. It doesn't fit my game, so I hate playing it. <laughs> I always play poorly there. I'm not someone who's very good. It's got very small greens. It's got small landing areas. I don't ever play well there. The wind is always whipping. And I say that you know, jokingly. I do love it when I get to go down there. I just don't ever score well there. It's a tremendous golf course. Donald Ross, you, you can't go wrong with him. I think, it's, I think it's just an excellent golf course. And again, you bring in all the history to it. 
And then not to mention, you know, I've never played the Pines, but then you add in a second 18 as well. That's always going to be a, a thumbs up in my book. So I have currently Charleston at number three, the North Course. You know I love it. Man, I thought that would be number one for you. No, 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 no. I, honestly, I don't think it's close, to be honest. But uh, okay. I, I think Charleston at number three. The reason why is because number two, and I'm going to say I'm kind of together, number two is Hominy. Uh, I think Hominy just gets too much play because there's too many people from around the state that that go there. And they don't – you know, Charleston's got the two 18s to send people off. It's farther away, so it doesn't get as much play comparatively anyway. Hominy's in the, you know, in the heart of central Jersey where there's, there's really – not a ton of great golf courses that are public. Uh, it, it just it just tends to get overplayed, and especially by by some people who maybe don't treat the courses nicely. So by the end of the summer, Hominy's in in not tip top shape, and I don't mean that as a knock. I don't want somebody to hear this and be like, "Oh, I'm not saying it's in bad shape," but like for example, the tenth hole. The longer hitters aren't hitting driver off the tee necessarily. They might be going three wood to get to a specific point. And then other people are hitting driver. So you have like 20 or 30 yards where everybody's landing. And it it just like, again, by the end of the year, it's a little chewed up. Not saying it's not beautiful, but there's things like that on Hominy. I feel like, uh, like Hominy's still beautiful. It's not dropping it out of the top five. And then number one for me is, is Bally Owen. Again, could be the experience I had up there. The, the group I played with were special people to me. To see the beautifulness of the course, I, I liked it's got that Irish feel to it. And I like that we saw basically Ireland's weather there too. Like it was, it was 70 and sunny when we got there. Then it started raining. Then it was 50. This is all within the same, this is like in the front nine. So I, I love that course. And I don't, to be honest, between Hominy and Charleston, for me being number two, I don't think Bally Owen is, I think it's in a league of its own. I don't think it's an argument as to which is nicer. Now, again, I haven't played some of them. Again, you have Scotland Run on yours, and I know Scotland Run gets a lot of love in, if you look up, like, top 20 courses, public courses in New Jersey, Scotland Love gets Scotland Run gets a lot of love. Ballamore gets a lot of love, but I haven't gotten out to those. So hopefully this summer I can, but, but for me, that's my, that's my five through one. Solid, solid list. Very similar with our ones and twos. Ballyon yeah. clearly is is there now. If we, you know, dive into the private side now, you know, I do want to preface this that without people inviting us out to certain spots, this list is really irrelevant. So, you know, when I look at the private side in terms of where I've played in, since twenty twenty. You know, it's you know, it's probably maybe not as a broad of a list as other people may have because they may be you know fortunate to play way more spots. But you know, I, I dove back into my gin again from 2020 to 2023. Well, not yet 2023 to 2022 to look at the last three seasons. And here's my list going from five to one. Coming in at number five for me was Mitita Conk. When you think about those 27 holes out there, that practice facility. Um, those pros that are out there helping and teaching, like that place is, is unbelievable. When I look at that place from the top to the bottom, it's hard to argue that that's not one of the better spots that I've been fortunate to get out to. Uh, number four on my list was Wachong Valley. 
I, I listen, I thought the views on that place were spectacular. Um, the undulation, the yeah, listen, I could probably go on and on, but the mountains in the backdrop, listen, it was just an unbelievable spot to be out there to play, to see what it looks like. So I had Wachong Valley at number four. Number three for me was the Ridge at Backbrook. You know, being out there this past summer and seeing that place, uh, listen, again, you could probably talk about many holes and we could probably have a whole episode on the Ridge at Backbrook. Um, because even when I just think about that eighth hole alone, it's just like stupid nice. It's like a you know, portrait that you could hang in your kitchen and be like, wow, that's a, that's a beautiful view. Number two on my list is Atlantic City Country Club. And I know some people may say, well, no, that's actually semi-private. But unfortunately, if you don't know, they did go fully private. And when I think about that spot, you know, obviously I played it when it was semi-private, you know, back-to-back summers before they fully went private. And I think just the history of that place is unbelievable. I loved the fact that that putting green is attached to the first hole that just like slides right into the tee box. Um, so people could be practice putting before they tee off and you just look to your right hand side and there's people banging balls off the first tee. The 18th hole coming right back to the clubhouse. Just an unbelievable spot. And then the views looking straight out at Atlantic City. Just stupid nice. Really just stupid nice. And I, I, I don't know if I could find a, a harder golf course that's only a par 70 in our area than that place. I, I was f- fully, fully loves, and I'm, I won't deny that one bit, but I, I just think, and I probably the audience probably can just say it without me even saying the name, but I got Maniscal River at number one. <laughs> I think I've said enough times on this spot that th- it just doesn't get old. It legitimately doesn't get old from the front nine to walking the hills up and down to the back nine to walking along the river to finishing right there in the 18th hole with the clubhouse right on the right hand side. And, you know, it, it just is a spot, like I've said, and I'm not going to stay on repeat because I'm sure people will fast forward to this part, but it is just an unbelievable spot. Starting from from my five going five to one. Uh, I kept Matita Conk off of mine. I agree with you. It's fantastic. I would have it higher on the list, but I don't even have it at five only because it's outside. I haven't played it in four or five years. I think it was it was the summer before COVID or two summers before COVID. So I kind of wanted to keep it in that, but no doubt that is like, I really wanted to stay true to that, but no doubt it's, it's a tremendous facility. So my five is Little Mill. Again, could be recency bias, could be just like the overall experience that we had there. Troy was such a great dude to us. That was such a cool little clubhouse that they had. I love that it was just like a golfer's paradise, that like they're there to golf specifically and obviously played it, you know, more recently. Uh, I I loved Little Mill. I had such a great time there. That was, uh, I, I can't wait to attack it again because I feel like now that I know something about something there, I can, you know, hopefully play better. Like sub 80 better? I don't know about sub 80 because because I, I don't know if people know this. I've only broken 85 times in my life. Uh, I got a whole bunch. Six times. Now we're ready for a right, six. No, uh, believe me, I, I would, I'm going to be a scratch golfer this summer. So, of course, it's going to be, of course, that's going to happen. 
Talk to Dr. Mike. He knows. We've been, we've been working hard. I know. I know Dr. Mike has said that. He's he's made it public. I have the text message. I'm holding him to it. <laughs> and what you're going to do, the first time I shoot 94 somewhere, you're going to take a screenshot of the score and Dr. Mike's text. <laughs> and that's going to get posted, I'm sure. But I, yeah, Little Mill was just such a, such a great experience. I just, uh, now knowing certain things there, and, and honestly, not playing with the leaves, you might not you know, lose so many balls. Uh, I, I would like to attack that place again. I would have this course higher. I don't know how much higher, but I think it's got a better opportunity to be higher. But I've only played nine holes at it. Baltusrol upper. And even if it was, even if I did play all 18, I don't know if it breaks the other three that I have ahead of it. When I played it, I only played nine holes, and it was super early spring. So it's not like it was popping in, in the best kinds of conditions. Uh, it's also, they keep the upper open all winter. That's the course that their members can play uh, throughout the winter. No one's allowed on the lower course throughout. So um, I don't want to say it was beat up or anything, but I, was, I went in with high, high, high expectations for Baltusrol upper. And it didn't meet those super high expectations. Again, I want to reiterate, like I did before, I'm not saying that that makes it bad by any means. It just, I was expecting gold and got silver. You know what I mean? So for me, that falls at four. I have Hollywood at three. I think Hollywood is, when it's, when it's in its prime, I honestly think it can rival any course in the state. Not knowing Pine Valley or some of those others, but it is super good, dude. It's got such beautiful colors on the course. The greens are super tough. I think it's a great, great, great track. I don't think it's as good as the Ridge of Backbrook, which is why I have the Ridge at number two. Uh, like you had, uh, I think the Ridge is excellent. Uh, I don't think there's much that, that I need to say about the Ridge. It's just a tremendous place. Am I number one? Ridgewood. Ridgewood was, I think I played center and east. I'd have to look it up to be quite honest with you, but uh, uh, Ridgewood's Ridgewood for a reason. It was outstanding. I, I thought it was great. I really did. It, it's a, it holds up to being, being a top five course in the state for sure. It was excellent. Yeah, listen, I, I, I've never been there, but like anything, you, you see the pictures, you hear people talk about it like you did just there. Uh, listen, definitely a spot I'd love to get out and see. No question about it. So that that wraps up. Those are our, you know, you guys, we, we've been talking about it. We've been kind of going back and forth. Uh, I honestly, I think we can redo this at the end of the summer, Mike. And after we've played courses like Skyway, like Rock Springs, hopefully we can, you know, some of the places that we've been invited to hopefully come through and we can add some more courses in there. You know, uh, I'm, I'm going to call Chris out on this. Like Manasquan, maybe I can add that in there. Let's see if it breaks in. But, uh, you know, f that would be awesome. I think we could do this in end of November and redo this again. And, and I think we could have completely different lists by the end of this year. 100% agree. Yeah, I think this is a good yeah. thing that we can revisit. We can put a little, you know, bookmark in this one and say, here's where yeah. we are to start the 2023 season. And, I'll, you know, we'll let you know where we are at the end of it. So as you guys have seen on Instagram, we have a, a special announcement to make. 
We are now officially brand ambassadors for Fluke Apparel. Jack was on last week. We talked Fluke Apparel and how great they were to him, sending him clothes. You know, he, he qualifies for the Genesis. They get it out to him right away. We had been in talks with them previously, uh, a little bit before then, but we were able to iron out some details and, and put together a little promo that we put out earlier this week. And, and we're, Mike and I are super happy about this. This is a tremendous opportunity, I think, for both uh, Fluke Apparel and for us. They got some great stuff. Uh, I, I just I can't say enough good things about the experience already. And we haven't even really gotten into this, the swing of things yet. No pun intended. And I just, I'm, I'm very excited for our relationship with Fluke Apparel. They've been very good to us so far. And, and I don't think that that's going to waver at all. I think that's going to be a good relationship for a long time to come. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, Chris over at Fluke Apparel Company is, an, first off, a first-class dude. Um, you know, he was very transparent. He's very honest, as were we, in terms of kind of like, know if there was even something we'd be able to work out and you know the more the ball got rolling downhill it started picking up speed and before you know it you know it led us to come into some to an agreement that you know we're going to start rocking fluke apparel company gear and i know firsthand that like a lot of things in my life i can be a little picky with things um but i can't lie when i say when i got the gear it was first class stuff. I I think if you were asking me to describe what Fluke Apparel Company's gear is like, I would say it's a combination of Grayson, Johnny O, and Peter Millar. When you combine three quality brands like that into one at an affordable price with unbelievable designs, like that's what you're getting. And as someone who is picky about their gear, okay, I like it a certain way. I like it to fit a certain way. I like it to be a little tighter, a little slimmer. Like, they nailed it. And I wouldn't be someone that's willing and able to push something so hard if I truly didn't believe it. And I kid you not, you guys will buy the gear. You'll say, wow, Mike wasn't lying. Because from the hats to the belts to the hoodies, to the quarter zips. It is just top-notch material. And listen, Chris knocked it out of the ballpark. I'm beyond thrilled to be a part and to promote them and and have to and to be able to wear their gear when we get out and play. Uh, because we all know that when you know you're wearing things in a four-hour round of golf, so many things come up, and that'll definitely be a topic of conversation that we have with many people that we play with. Yeah, I'm super excited to rock it. And, and as you said, Chris is such a great guy. They're relatively new. We're new. It's a, it's a young relationship. Hopefully we can grow together. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And again, you know, Mike's the, the wordy guy of us. But when he tells you and explains it, how good it is, it, it's, it's just good. Just believe me when I say it's, it's amazing stuff. Go check it out. When you go onto their website, flukeapparelco.com, Go check them out. Go find some stuff. When you check out, put in the code DROP, that's D-R-O-P, all one word, DROP, for discount code. You get 20% off, and, uh, and, and you get some great stuff with a little discount, too. All right, so that's going to be it for us today. Uh, Mike and I yucking it up here a little bit. 
We're going to send you now to Dan Hicks. As I said at the top of the show, we got Dan Hicks on. Dan's the lead broadcaster for NBC. Uh, He's done Notre Dame football. He does the Olympics. He does golf. He is, again, when you hear... That, that voice of his, you're going to say, ooh, I know, I know that voice. I recognize that, even if you don't recognize his name. He's got tons of iconic calls that you just, you're going to hear it. And you're going to be like, I know exactly where that's from. An awesome interview, and I, and I think like our biggest get yet. Expect anything different? Without further ado, enjoy this interview. Are you sick of the same old golf attire, boring shirts, hats, belts that don't really match your style, check out Fluke Apparel Company. It's coastal-inspired golf gear. Customers have been raving about the quality and performance of all their products, from the local weekend golfers to the PGA Tour. At checkout, use code DROP, D-R-O-P, to save 20% on your next order. Go check them out at flukeapparelco.com. Okay, here we go. Today's guest is big time. I know our audience loves hearing from people who have stories, can share experiences, and guess what? Today's guest most certainly has all of those and more. I can't wait to get into it, ask questions, and hear some stories from today's guest. Today's guest is none other than Dan Hicks, broadcaster and play-by-play host for NBC Golf. He's regularly involved with the Olympics calling different events. He's had a couple memorable, I shouldn't even say a couple, many memorable calling moments. He's married to the ESPN anchor, Hannah Storm, has three daughters. He's got some unbelievable calls when you think back to the 2008 U.S. Open, the 2009 Arnold Palmer Invitational. And, and now don't get, don't get kidded yourself. Dan's a good player on his own, carries a solid eight index. And, and listen, we all know about those eight indexes sometimes. <laughs> um, but Dan, I appreciate you taking a few minutes to come on the show here. Hey, uh, my pleasure, guys. And always good to have the, uh, the index and the proper number, you know, before we even get things going here. Cause, uh... Yeah, cause, listen, when I saw, when I saw that Especially number, I said, man, week. yeah, I said, he's a, he's a player. <laughs> yeah. I said, I had to make sure, I always like to make sure the stats are accurate um, because I know sometimes that, you know, my research isn't always 100%. But so listen, I, I know there's many different angles we can take to get this thing going. But let's dive a little bit into your background. You know, I understand and, and, you know, reading things that your childhood here was Vince Scully. You know, in media and all different facets is something that I think Ryan and I never envisioned that we'd get into and kind of look, here we are interviewing who is, you know, the voice behind NBC Golf. You know, kind of like what led you into broadcasting and, and maybe why golf specifically? Yeah, good question. And it's, uh, it's, it's pretty easy. Uh, just to start the answer by saying I love sports. I just, I always played sports and uh, it was a big part of my life growing up. And as I got older and realized that I was not going to be able to uh, make a living at playing the sports that I love, uh, I was always fascinated by the electronic media of radio and television because I, I watched so much sports. I became very familiar with the guys that called it. And I, I quickly developed an affinity and an affection for the jobs that they did. And I just thought it was fascinating. And I would, you mentioned Vin Scully. I, I, I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. There was not a professional team there to follow, but we did get certain broadcasts. We got every single radio broadcast of Vin Scully into Tucson, Arizona from wherever he was broadcasting from. And that was just a trip, uh, 
you know, to where, whatever ballpark he was at. I would I would lie in bed and listen to Vince Scully do the game by himself and just became mesmerized by the pictures that he painted, the descriptions that he made, and thought to myself, you know, I want to be one of those guys that calls games for a living. So I was pretty lucky that I knew from an early age that this is something that I that I wanted to do. And you asked about the golf. Uh, you know, I started doing studio stuff. I did radio and studio TV in, in Tucson. I did radio there, and I worked at the NBC affiliate. I went to CNN, and I did three years. It was all studio. I did not do any play-by-play until I got to NBC. And when I got to NBC, I had done some golf for CNN. I would I would attend the majors and report on what happened at the U.S. Open or the Masters or whatever. And I think the uh, the people at NBC saw me do the golf. They thought my style would suit it. And so they just kind of threw me in to the golf world. And that was exactly what I wanted. It was uh, I had played basketball and baseball and football growing up, but I really didn't play a lot of golf. I hurt my knee playing basketball. I played in a ton of leagues and I started throwing myself into golf. And so I gained a whole new respect for the game of golf and that was just uh, music to my ears and NBC thought that I'd be a good fit for the golf. And that kind of is the thumbnail sketch of how I got involved in golf at NBC. Quite a story. It's, it's amazing how many people almost like find golf later, later in life where like you played, you say you played basketball growing up and, and uh, baseball and kind of got away from those. It's not like you grew up in golf. It's, it's golf's one of those sports. It's very, it's very interesting to see how people get, to find golf that way absolutely and i think that that's what makes it it special uh you don't have to grow up at a country club or have your folks drop you off at a golf course when you're five years old hey that's great and in many ways i wish i would have had a golf club in my hand at that early of an age i think i'd, I'd be a little more natural <laughs> as i as i grew <laughs> as i grew into the game but the great thing about the game is I absolutely got hooked. I dabbled in it in high school a little bit, and I started playing regularly after I hurt my knee and thought, well, this is something that I can play for the rest of my life. I just just became fixated, uh, obsessed with getting better at the game. And in turn, I think a lot of people that play the game like watching it on television because they really appreciate how good these guys are and these women are it's it's incredible if you try to play this game and it drives you crazy and you go out and you and you watch these you know people come down the last stretch of a u.s open or whatever with everything on the line i i think it's the most pressure-packed sport to perform at a high level than any other sport and i'll i'll argue with anybody who wants to argue with me about it i think that's what's so compelling about it is that when the pressure's on it's just you and I think that golf is so insanely meticulous when pressure happens that I just think it's I think it's the most compelling sport to watch when the pressure's on in a big event. Yeah, there's there's no doubt that that just and, and I think one of the things that like stands out, I think you have like the perfect voice when it comes to golf. And I and I think when I I'm a golf fiend and Ryan and I are just like nerds that just like eat it up. But like the two calls for me that like truly stand out is are the ones I brought up at the beginning. Like in the 2009 Arnold Palmer, you know, when Tiger makes that putt and you just just I mean, I don't know if these are things that you just make up on the fly and you ad lib or they're kind of thought about ahead of time. But like 
Tiger is Tiger. Like those things stand out. And then obviously 2008 is the, or excuse me, 2000, yeah, 2008 at the US Open is like the call. Like expect anything different. I like, I can just visualize where I was, how it all went down. The guy's walking around with a broken leg. Like, what do you recall from those moments? Like, do you plan for calls like that? Do you, is it scripted? Is it thought about? Or are you just like, hey, listen, if it happens, I got something. If not, I'm just going to wing it. Yeah, I get asked that a lot. And I my, my thought process is, I mean, let's start with Tiger at Bay Hill, right? The guy won eight times. And I know. So each one has a little bit of a different texture to it. And I do not really go in thinking, all right, if Tiger makes another putt at the 72nd hole, now what am I going to say? <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I do have these thoughts in the back of my mind as if to say, okay, if he wins again, what makes this one special? And, you know, we, as the years went on, you know, it finally came to the, the Ben Hogan. It, it's, I, I remember that he, that he tied Ben Hogan and he took the hat off. Remember that one that he, that he made the putt? Yep. It seems like he did it like, you know, you know, he did it like five, four or five times. He made a putt on the last hole to win there. And, uh, <laughs> but when he, when, he, when, he, when he matched Ben Hogan, I thought it was a big deal historically. And in turn, now he's got, you know, he's tied with Sam Snead at the top with 82. But at the time, he tied Ben Hogan. So he just spun around and he, and, he, and he threw the hat off. And the first thing that just kind of popped in my head, because Ben Hogan had been in my mind, if he wins, he ties Ben Hogan. I just said, hello, Ben Hogan. It just kind of came out from my 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 heart and soul and it was that's that's kind of how the thinking goes and then fast forward to tiger um at tory pines at the u.s open that was one of those situations we were lucky we had a lot of time to set it up it came down to the last hole to see if tiger was going to make this putt to get into a monday playoff with rocco and you know all the guys on the ground, Roger Malpe and Johnny up with me in the booth, uh, had all had a chance to kind of really, really analyze the putt, analyze how great that third shot was to set up that birdie attempt by Tiger. And so it all kind of, we had a chance to kind of lay out a little bit. And the feeling I got as I looked at Johnny and as I kind of scanned the crowd of about 30,000, seemed like more, uh, all around the 18th green, I just thought to myself, everybody expects him to make this, you know, I look over at Johnny, he's kind of got this half smile on his face as if, you know, I, he expects him to make it. And so when this ball starts <laughs> rolling along the green and it goes in it, that, that just came, I did not plan it. It just kind of came out, expect anything different because I thought everybody in the world was expecting him to make it. And so that's what came out. That's what, that, so you can't really script these things. You can have some thoughts and you can kind of try to know that, if it's a huge moment, you kind of want to enhance it, not tromp all over it, but try to put it in perspective to maybe make it a little more memorable. But you're not the show. Tiger's the show or Michael Phelps is the show in the Olympics or whoever it may be. You're just there to try to enhance it. And if something comes out, great. If it doesn't, don't force it and let the pictures and the sounds take over at that point. Yeah, I mean, that's a big year, 2008 with the Olympics and then and Tiger at, at the U.S. Open. Like, those are two, like... Oh, man. I mean, I can only imagine what that year was like for you. It was unbelievable. Uh, I, you know, and at the time, you think, you know, that was... Uh, what is that now? Uh, 15 years ago. Oh, Jesus. It's it hard is. to believe. <laughs> I know. I mean, and I'm thinking... And at the time, you're thinking to yourself, well, that summer of 2008 was pretty good if we wheeled it to 2009. <laughs> And I remember Rowdy Gaines, who's my, my analyst for all the Olympic swimming that we've done, who does an incredible job. 
he told me at the end of that after after Phelps did what he did in China and that was after what Tiger did at the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. He goes, you know, you got to write a book just about this summer. That's just like incredible. You're 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 never going to probably you know experience anything like that again. And I go, ah, you know, well, let's let this you know let's let this uh, you know permeate here for a little while, let it marinate a little bit and see. And as I look back, maybe someday I will do those two months because. They were incredible. You, you could not have scripted it. I mean, right out of Hollywood was the Tiger script. And then we shuffle into August in, in Beijing and China. And Phelps does what he does with two races in particular that just he had no business winning what he won to make it the perfect eight for eight gold medal. So 2008, uh, when it's all said and done or when my career is all said and done, I, I would not be surprised at all if uh, that's the that's the most uh that's the best year that I've had as far as the, the witnessing the events that and, I did. And I think you got to name the book 2008, Expect Anything Different. <laughs> There's the title. There, hey, there we go. You can, that's not trademarked, Dan. I, you can have that. That's that's for you. I, I knew I agreed to do this podcast for that. I knew that I would get an idea or two from you guys. So uh, I will definitely keep that in mind. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> um, Dan, I, I kind of I wanted to ask you, you mentioned your time being up in the booth with Johnny Miller, and I'm, I'm super interested in what's your day like when you're heading to the booth on a Sunday? What time you get into the course? What time you get into the 18th Tower? What's the What are you doing in between the groups as they come through? Because you do have... A little bit of time. I don't want to make it seem like you have, you know, a lot of time. But like, are you able to run to the bathroom in between groups, or like, what's the, what's your, what, <laughs> what's the, what's it like being up there? And you're like on a on a typical Sunday when you're when you're announcing something. What's the what's it like there? Well, well, let me start with this. That bathroom part. There is an art to that. Uh, there's definitely <laughs> a strategy involved. After all the years I've been doing it, to hydrate early in the day, and then the closer you get to air start start backing off so, <laughs> so so your body at least has a chance to get uh you know properly hydrated and then as the uh as the moments happen you know sometimes we're on the air for six seven eight hours sometimes at a writer cup we're on for 10 hours which is just absolutely ludicrous so i you know bathroom breaks i'll i'll you know we'll work it in there if i need to go down and uh, somebody else will you know host the show for a few more minutes uh you know while i do my thing but I'm very careful to make sure that I'm uh, I'm ready to roll at the most important part of the broadcast, and that's the last few hours when everything's kind of coming down, coming down the stretch. But a typical day is, you know, let's say for a major for a U.S. Open on a final round Sunday is if I have time, and a lot of times it's it's hard to get to the practice tee beforehand because we have so much rehearsal. We're on the air for so long that many times I'm in the booth and the guys haven't even the last few groups haven't even had a chance to come out and warm up, and I'm already in the booth scrapped in for the day but i do like i do like to get out to the practice tee check in with just watching the warm-up if i happen to glance over at a caddy or a, even a player and he kind of makes eye contact and you feel like you can have a couple of words that's fantastic but the final round of a major really is you know that's 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 pretty much their time and a lot of that happens earlier in the week uh when i'll get a chance to talk to players in the practice rounds when they're loose and you know watch them warm up and really have some some light conversation. So Sunday is a little different time. It's, it's, it's pressure time and it's, it's, it's their time to try to get it done. So I'll get up in the booth really early. Sometimes, uh, you know, we have a rehearsal and I'll get up there probably sometimes hour and a half to two hours before we rehearse. And then we go over everything, all the elements, the production elements with our producer, Tommy Roy, I'll go over 
all the possible things that could happen uh, production-wise that uh, we should be prepared for, which is a lot. And then we've got sponsor obligations and all that stuff that we've got to go through, make sure we're pronouncing you know, all the shows right that we're promoting on and on and on. And then we finally get down to, you know, to, to brass tacks, so to speak, uh, with Zinger or Johnny in the case when we work with him. Uh, we'll talk about how we want to you know, approach that opening on camera. Sometimes we don't have time. Things are just flying around and all of a sudden the drama kind of speaks for itself. But we'll kind of talk a little bit about the points that we think are most important off the top to, to visit and kind of get the audience ready for as far as the show goes and the, and the drama for that day. So most of the preparation, guys, though, happens before the tournament starts. Uh, you know, I, I keep up on everything I can. I read everything, especially when I get into town. I kind of plug myself in and immerse myself in, in that tournament. And but it never really stops. Golf is, you know, 24 seven, as you know, it's just pretty much become around the clock kind of sport. So I, I, I keep up with it all the time. I love it. I watch it even when I'm not uh, on air, not only to keep up with what's going on, but just to um, just because I love it. I, I love watching how other guys handle it, like a Jim Nance, who's incredible and the CBS crew and how they kind of approach it. We all learn from each other and we do watch each other as well. I think, I, you know, I guess. One question I have again is like obviously you're going you transition from like one all time golfer in Johnny Miller um, by your side for such a stretch and now you're on to the next legend I think who does an unbelievable job with adding you know his own perspective on things who again you know Ryder Cup Captain Winner like he he knows what he's talking about so like you've been fortunate to work by work next to two amazing people like what's the transitioning like going from Johnny Miller to, to Paul Azinger? Yeah, another good question. It, and I'll tell you, you know, no one felt the pressure more than, than Paul Azinger when he took over for Johnny and Zinger's <laughs> got all the credentials that you just that you just talked about. I, I mean, know. he's proven major championship winner, Ryder Cup captain, and he was perfect for, you know, the trans you know, he's the perfect guy. I, I always I always told everybody he's he was the best player available, no doubt about it, when Johnny decided to hang it up. And the reason I say that is because Zinger had the same traits, although different than Johnny. He had the same basic fundamental traits. He would speak his mind. He wouldn't really just say something just because maybe it sounded good to the player or the player's wife or the mom or the dad. He he gets paid to give his opinions. And I think that he had proved that um, in his broadcasting. And he was he was no rookie. Gosh, he was, you know, he worked at ABC, did a lot of shows, did did some work for Fox as well. So the transition actually was 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 a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Zinger brings a passion, uh, like even more so than Johnny did to the booth. I mean, and Johnny loved being there, but I think Johnny really loved being there in the final nine holes. That's when Johnny really rose to the occasion, and he was great the whole the whole way. But Zinger brings a hundred percent energy and the passion of just a kid every single show. And this is a guy that's you know in his sixties now who's played the game for all those years, been such a big part of it and seeing countless, countless golf tournaments. He can't wait to get to the booth and share with everybody the stories of these guys and give his insights on them. So it's been uh, it's been another real fortunate situation for for me and our crew to have to have Zinger as our as our lead guy in that in that big chair. I mean, there's big there's big responsibilities for sitting over there too. Yeah, and I think I think his connection too after just coming off you know, being the Ryder Cup captain, I know it's a, a few years back, but I think his connection still with the players, 
like that carries a lot of weight in terms of how he decided to implement like his strategy of being a captain. Because I remember watching, you know, the NBC, they did like a little like um, background of how Zinger implemented a lot of different things he wanted to do to prepare those guys for the Ryder Cup in terms of being like teammates and work ethic and getting along and building camaraderie. And I think I think that carries a lot of weight with the players to be able to get a lot more insight as well. Not saying that Johnny couldn't, but I think Zinger just may be more relative in the time right now. Yeah, I think uh, his Ryder Cup captaincy in 2008 there's another 2008 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, might, might have to put Zinger in there as well. Uh, anyway, he, you know, his book's called Cracking the Code and, and his, and his approach to that Ryder Cup was something that was really needed for the U S because they had been getting their butts kicked for, for so many Ryder Cups. And Zinger came in with this kind of refreshing approach to it. He had the pod system. He, he really, really had the sense of what a leader and a captain should do. He let his players play, but he organized them. He got them into the pods. He made them feel comfortable with each other. And it was an approach that had kind of been dabbled with, but Zinger did the deep dive on it and really brought a, a uh, you know, a pattern to future captaincies that, have, you know, that obviously was taken to another level with uh, what they've done, uh, you know, after they lost even more after Zinger was captain. So, uh, he, he was great. I, I think the players respect the guy that can lead a, a U.S. Ryder Cup team. It really remains the ultimate, the ultimate achievement, maybe outside of a major, but some guys put it even at a major or above winning a major, is to make a Ryder Cup team. So the respect that Zinger brought into the booth already by being a gutsy player on, a Ryder, on multiple Ryder Cup teams and then captaining a team, I think uh, I think he I think you hit it on the head. He he brought a lot of respect with him uh, because of what he did in the Ryder Cup. Yeah, he definitely did. He's got to get a lot of respect for for what he did because golf's not another another part to that. I guess would be golf's not a, a necessarily a team sport. So figuring out that that like pod system and and kind of creating that team environment in a sport that's not necessarily team driven is is gotta not be very easy to do and he was successful at it and then seeing that we weren't very successful at it for a few years after that is is also credit i think only builds up his resume even more with what he did there uh no doubt and i that's that's one thing that i could not wait to to broadcast with zing was a Ryder cup and i think that uh you know, the couple that he's done so far have proven that, you know, he just he just gets the whole experience. He, I mean, the, the hair in his arm gets up and he gets all all emotional. And, you know, it's funny, our our producer, Tommy Roy, you know, a, you know, in our business, we're journalists first. Right. So, you know, you can't say even Zinger can't say, well, we, you know, or or he's got to He's got to basically say, hey, the United States needs a lot. needs a big performance today. But. Where Tommy does turn him loose is when he when he speaks specifically about his team in 2008. So it's so cool to see him all of a sudden say, oh, the United States. Well, when we were doing this back in 2008, we and so you can just feel this whole camaraderie that Zinger developed with the team. And you can still you can hear it in his voice. You can see it in his face. And uh, when he gets to a Ryder Cup, there's 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 no other event that pumps him up more so. Uh, to, to do the Ryder Cup as many years as we've done it, I did my first Ryder Cup in '93, which is crazy, and to to 
to keep the rights to this property, which is just just been off the charts. I, I, I think it's, you know, I, I think I think it brings more people into golf, even more so than a major. I get more people asking me, well, when's the Ryder Cup? And th these are people that never watch golf and maybe watch a little bit of the majors. They may, they'll, they'll, they'll watch the Masters. They'll watch the U.S. Open from time to time and, and get kind of into it, depending on, you know, maybe if Tiger's playing or not. But, man, you give them the Ryder Cup, and they just go crazy. And it brings more people that normally wouldn't watch golf into an event than, than any other event in golf. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know <laughs> if I like a um, an event more. Maybe March Madness do I like, but the Ryder Cup certainly yeah. brings its brings it. it it's phenomenal. Uh, Dan, is there a favorite host event that you like broadcasting or a host city uh, that that you like more than another? Where it's just like I really enjoy going to this to this event or this venue or this course or anything like. Wow, that's. That's a good question. There's there's been so many great, you know, we did 20 US Opens in our first run uh, at NBC and then Fox took over for a few and then we came back and we now have the US Open rights again. And you know, I I might I am a little biased, but my my home club is Wingfoot and when we got the rights back to do the US Open, uh it was they moved this was the event where they moved from its normal date in June to September because of the pandemic. And we did it in a very stoic, reserved environment. And it's like a dream to do a US Open at your home club, right? But, and it was great. I mean, Bryson DeChambeau won and, and he battled Matthew Wolf down the stretch and it was good stuff, but it just wasn't the same. So we now have, or they're, they're the US Open or the USGA awarded the rights back to Wingfoot for 2028. Um, I'd love to get back there and get a crack at doing that in a full throat kind of gallery atmosphere. So that's special just because of for obvious reasons. But Shinnecock is a great venue. Pebble Beach is a fantastic venue. Uh, that was my first U.S. Open in the booth with Johnny in, in 2000 when Tiger won by 15. That was something I'll never forget. And I'm looking forward to, to going back to Pebble Beach for another U.S. Open, the U.S. Women's Open which is scheduled this uh, summer, which I believe could turn out to be one of the great events in women's golf history. I know that says a lot, but they've never, they've never played the U.S. Women's Open at Pebble Beach. It's the biggest championship they play, and, and Pebble Beach is just, is just special. I did go to St. Andrews last year for the first time. I'd never even been there as a casual fan. I'd never played golf there, and we did the, U, uh, we did the Open Championship at St. Andrews last summer. And I got to say, that place is the real deal. It's as advertised. It's, uh, it was so, so good. We stayed at the Rusak's Hotel, which is right there on the right of the fairway at 18. And it was the greatest broadcast setup ever, guys. It's got to be would, special. Yeah. Stay at the hotel, get up early in the morning, uh, walk over uh, to the booth, walk over to the practice tee. I would never, I would never even get in a golf cart. It was so convenient. I'd, and I'd walk after we were done off air that day. I would walk maybe 180 yards back to the hotel and, you know, get a, get a late dinner. And with the sun still up, you know, at like nine 30 quarter to 10, watch the, watch the final, watch the final groups finish up with the sun setting. It was like magic. So that's a long winded way of, of giving you a few venues, but uh, those, those are the golf venues that come to mind. Yeah. Special, special spots. So obviously you got a couple big weeks coming up. Um, I understand you got the Honda, you got Arnold Palmer's invitational, 
But I think the big ticket coming up is the players. And I think that's where like things become a little different in terms of like speaking about it. Because like, how do you think you, NBC, like the audience, the defending champion clearly isn't there. And I think this will be like another time where that topic of conversation of live and the PGA Tour comes about because, you know, no offense, Cam Smith is a phenomenal golfer. And like, how do you project things to go that week? Is that going to be a hot topic, you believe? Absolutely. I, I think it's going to be, obviously the majors are a big deal and we've seen the live players in the major championships, but this is the PGA Tour's crowning crown, crown jewel. And so it's, it's a big deal. It's, it's always a big deal. And it'll be, it'll be a little awkward without the defending champion come back, but we've seen other tournaments like that as well. But I think it's also going to be one of those deals where the players, it's their tournament, right? It's their championship. And I think they're, you know, this thing has been going on for a long time and it's kind of, you know, unfortunately taken over the, you know, the daily conversation around golf and I get it, but it's going to be interesting to see how the live season starts off. You know, they've got 14 events this year and then it goes into the players championship. So it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting from a standpoint of, I think we're going to hear if, if a player wasn't vocal so far uh, about playing the PGA tour or live for that matter, I think it, it could boil into something even, even at a, at a higher intensity. So it, it, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I, I'll, I do. I will say this. Players Championship is another one of those venues that I didn't mention that I think is, has, has turned out to be one of the great finishes in all of golf. I, 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 you know, I argue with me, argue with you to give me three better finishing holes in 16, 17 and 18 at TPC Sawgrass and almost and almost the guaranteed drama that it produces every single year. Uh, Cam Smith last year hitting it into the water there. It's like, oh my God. Uh, but that's the kind of stuff that can happen. So yeah, it's uh it's it's the PGA Tour's uh big one and it's uh it's it's always interesting with with live you know on a subject, but it'll also be interesting to see how much of a focus, if any, that will be uh by the time uh, another players championship comes around in March. Yeah, did mean to throw throw you on the spot there with some live talk, but uh, yeah, but, um, but yeah, <laughs> no, it okay. is an interesting. You know, it is something that's that's definitely going to be front and center here with uh, what's going to happen. You know, with players not being there. So, yep. I did want to just give you a quick little note. My entire childhood was watching Hannah on uh, on Sports Center, so I appreciate her uh, <laughs> all her work, and and that's a. Watching Sports Center on Saturday mornings was a, a staple in my childhood, so I, I have a great respect for her and, and uh, obviously for you and what you guys do. So, well, you are uh, you are preaching to the choir here, pal. She is, uh, <laughs> she's, she's awesome. She's awesome at what she does. She's uh, the best talent in the Hicks family. That's that's for sure. There's no doubt about that. And uh, I've, I've got uh, I've got great respect for what she's done through the years. She's she's really one of the pioneer uh, females in this business, and I think that uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the opportunities that have that have come women's way in sports broadcasting have been paved by her. I, I could say that unabashedly because I, I really believe it. And uh, she's been a great example for our household too, guys. Not to get too sentimental, but she's an even better mom and and a wife than uh, than she is a, a broadcaster. So that uh, that says a lot. 
Yeah, for yeah. sure. And, and I think you're totally right. Pioneer is exactly how to describe her. At a time when not a lot of women were doing what she was doing, she was, she's definitely the head of that table there. So you're absolutely right. Yeah, I, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, she's, uh, she, she can do, she can, she can do it all. I mean, she even did play-by-play uh, for the Amazon NFL broadcast on Thursday for the last few years. So there's nothing that she can't do. There's nothing that she won't try. She's been a great example for uh, not only sports broadcasters but women, women in the business as well. Really look up to her. And it's funny. There's a, there's a lot of women uh, that work with her at ESPN, and they, they'll tell her the same thing. <laughs> You know, when you when when you've been doing it this long, you know, sometimes you don't realize, you know, the effect that you've had on on people like yourself, who has been watching her for for a long, long time. So it's uh, it's awesome to have her in that position. For sure. Listen, Ryan and I are two people that could talk for hours upon hours. So I can't thank you enough for a responding to our DM when when I sent it out there, and then <laughs> and then and then even just coming on. Um, so listen, you know. This was a great, great opportunity for us, and, and best of luck at the players and the rest of the season. And, and trust me, we'll be following from afar. I appreciate it, guys. If uh, if you're ever out and about at a, at a tournament that I'm at, please uh, don't hesitate. Come and say hello. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure being on the drop, and uh, I wish you guys all the best down the road. Thanks so much, Dan. Really appreciate it. See you, Dan. Take you care. too. Bye-bye. 